Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, May 13th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts. It's great to have them on the call with us today. George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So it's been an interesting week with the dominant theme being inflation. CPI ran a little bit hot. Some people interpreted it as good. Some people interpreted it as not so good. And PPI also was hot this week. So did the numbers tell a story of potential peaking or do we think inflation will persist? George, we'll start with you. So Brian, inflation was a little bit hot this week, as you mentioned. Uh, we talked about this from some time, though, that I think it's interesting to see that the, the narrative around inflation is starting to change at the margin, where it does appear that it's peaking, but it's staying pretty high. So the numbers kind of bear the story out in the sense that the headline CPI, which kind of includes everything, increased about one point, I'm sorry, 0.3% month over month. That's about a 4% annual rate. That actually was the smallest increase in eight months. Uh, so again, we started to see some some small change at the margin with respect to inflation. Uh, if you look at some of the core numbers, which take out things like food and energy, which is kind of a clever way to kind of think about inflation, perhaps, uh, it did slow from about um, a little over 6.5% to close to 6% even. And then PPI, which includes producer prices and so forth, stayed really quite elevated, rising almost 8% year over year, but that's down from a little over 9.5% uh, the prior reading. So again, at the margin, it does suggest that inflation is trending lower, but it's also staying really quite high. Um, I think the second derivative is, is an important argument that sometimes the market focuses on, which is the rate of change of the change itself, and that it actually is improving a little bit. But when you see things like um, mortgage rates backing up, you wouldn't see, you would not be surprised to see some uh, some some modest deceleration inflation. At the same time, however, wages are starting to remain elevated. Um, that suggests that inflation might stay a little bit more um, elevated going forward. And also energy prices are also um, quite high, as we probably all know from just you know, filling our, our, our card these days. So again, I think the overall context or the overall storyline with respect to inflation is that, yes, it's peaking, um, but it's staying elevated. And it's also probably staying uncomfortably high for the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has an inflation target of around 2 to 2.5%. Two and, and when I just throw those numbers of 6 7 8% or so, uh, one can do the math pretty quickly to kind of note that inflation is well above the Fed's target. So to me, it suggests that inflation is not coming down quickly. Um, there's a lot of issues with uh, supply chains that are still uh, problematic. That's been well documented by the financial press. Um, but again, I think from the Fed's perspective, um, they probably weren't, um, weren't dissuaded by this in any, any, with any disregard at all and are still likely to raise interest rates pretty aggressively in the latter half of, of this summer. So Rajiv, do you think that's a fair assessment of where inflation is and what the Fed's thinking is with respect to inflation? Yeah, George, I think you're on point there. I think, as you mentioned, uh, we did see the CPI print fall to uh, 8.3% from 8.5%, but the market consensus was for 8.1%. And just by missing that, we did see that the markets reacted 
and the notion that the Fed is still not doing enough to control inflation. Uh, will they be more aggressive? I think all of that narrative came back in. Uh, you could point to a Fed pointing to uh, 75 basis point rate hikes again. Uh, it, it did come back on the table for the Fed. Uh, we may have peaked, as you mentioned. However, uh, we did see we did not see the cool down in inflation that we thought that maybe we would get to at that 8.1% level. It doesn't seem like a lot there, but uh, the market reacts to everything. And I think, as you mentioned, the Fed has to react to everything too. Uh, the Fed uh, seems to be continuing on its path, path of 50 basis point rate hikes in the next three meetings. But as I mentioned, the odds of a 75 basis point rate hike, they've increased. They're still not the consensus, obviously, after the FOMC meeting, uh, where Fed Chair Powell said that uh, it's pretty much off the table. But again, uh, with us not seeing an immediate cool down in inflation uh, to that 8.1% point, there were talks again about is 75 basis points going to come back on the table. Uh, the impact of the CPI print and the PPI print, we really saw the 10-year and the 30-year U.S. Treasury yields decline. We saw a flattening of the yield curve. Uh, the spread between two-year and 10-year immediately flattened to 27 basis points. So specifically, we saw a 10-year decline by 20 basis points during the week and move uh, below that 3% where we saw ourselves at the 10-year. And that's really telling you what the market's thinking about the economy and whether the Fed's going to continue on their aggressive uh, way of controlling inflation to the detriment of the economy. So you're starting to see the 10-year kind of a run for safety in the 10-year. Uh, Fed Chair Powell was reconfirmed yesterday. Uh, wasn't a big surprise. The vote was 80 to 19. But then he did go on to make an interview uh, right after that. And he repeated that 50 basis points at the next two meetings would be appropriate. However, he did say the Fed can do more if necessary. And now market participants hear that and they view that as somewhat of a vague take on the 75 basis point argument again. So however, data is gonna be key here. And the Fed, has, they, the Fed Chair Powell did say that he's prepared to do what it takes to control inflation. If they start seeing readings that are uh, starting to come back in line with estimates, then perhaps they can do less. If they have to do more, they'll do more, but they are committed to getting inflation back to the 2% target. We also heard from other Fed members during the week, uh, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly, she said that 50 basis points should be appropriate and there's no reason to alter the course. So a lot of moving parts in the market based on uh, the CPI print, the PPI print, also that 75 basis point argument kind of coming up again, but not in a big way, still not the consensus, but 50 basis points in the next three meetings is pretty obvious. Uh, and it's been an impact on the equity markets as well. We've seen pain in the equity markets. I'd love to hear Steve's thoughts here about how the equity markets are dealing with this inflation number and also uh, what the number one priority of the Fed is. Thanks, Rajiv. So, you know, when I think about this, at first, when I take a look at the 10-year yield, one of the most interesting things to me for the week, and it's, and it's a positive for the equity market, is that we've had this big reversal at 3%, you know? And, and I think... I, it went to, to me, when I look at a chart of the 10 year, what I see is a giant anomaly in 2020 and 2021, where we had this huge spike to the downside close to the zero bound as a result of the COVID situation and the response from both the, the fiscal and monetary side of things. And, you know, essentially, if you, if you just kind of cover up that part of of the, the, the chart and you just look at it sideways. Otherwise, we've been in a trading range between one and a half and 3% for the last 10 years since 2012. So we're at the top end of that range now. And to, to me, it's a really important event this week that we've had this reversal 
um, at this key area on the chart of 3%. We hit it in 2013, we hit it in 2018, and now we've hit it in 2022 and every time we've reversed. So 3% to me is a really important number and see the market turn there is important. Um, the, the, the market, the equity market has really just been getting hammered day after day after day after day because yields have moved so fast so far from 2% to 3% super fast. And when things happen really fast uh, in the fixed income markets, the equity markets do, do not like it. They, they like slow change in fixed income, not, not fast. And, and to, to me, if we can get some stabilization here at 3%, that gives us at least it gives us the ability to have the equity market try to find some firmer footing. And you know, we've got a little bit of a bounce going on today here, right around 4,000 on the S&P, but, but we're still gonna see the sixth week of, of lower closes uh, for the first time since 2011. So the, the backdrop here in the equity market still remains, uh, remains weak. Uh, it's a market that is in show me mode or, or you know, prove it to me mode and until we are, are see otherwise. Um, cl clearly, we, we're focused like a laser beam on, on fixed income. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the word stability, Steve. I think counselors would tell many people that there are, I think there are five stages of grief, um, denial, anger, something called bargaining, depression and acceptance. And, you know, the markets don't bottom when we get acceptance. But to me, it does suggest that maybe things can stable out once we have that acceptance. And if nothing else, the market also is probably given people um, the ability to kind of reprice and reset expectations and somewhat accept the price that, that the price notion that multiples might be somewhat constrained going forward, right? We've kind of seen more more decline, if you will, or more decline has been based on multiples, stock price, strike, I'm sorry, stock price multiples, not necessarily earnings per se. Per se. Um, and so we've kind of seen stocks re-rated given where interest rates are now, given that inflation's under, uh, under, under some pressure and likely to stay somewhat elevated. And also geopolitically, I mean, the situation that I thought was interesting this week with happened to what Finland did, which essentially suggests that they want to consider joining NATO. And Finland, of course, was at war with Russia several decades ago. It shares a long border with Russia. And, and they're trying to maybe posture a little bit to uh, suggest that this geopolitical tension um, that we've been dealing with for the past couple of months might also persist. So that, it's not to say that, that stocks are, are overvalued or undervalued. It just suggests to me that maybe there's some stability there, but also some repricing of assets around the fact that market multiples might be somewhat capped in the near term. So again, what you said before, I think really bears watching, which has the earnings story uh, take the front and center to think about where stocks should be going forward and going forward from here. Um, to that extent, Steve, any thoughts on, on the general trend of earnings right now? Yeah, earnings have actually come in better than expectations during this reporting season. Uh, however, you know, what I always focus on instead of the actual numbers themselves is the reaction that the market has to those earnings. So what we've seen is companies beating on both revenue and EPS are outperforming by 1.6% so far this uh, 1Q earnings cycle. That's versus an average outperformance of 1.7%. So it's roughly in line if you're a double beat. Um, companies that are missing on both are underperforming by 4%, and that compares to an average of minus 3.1%. So basically, if you flub the quarter on both revenue and EPS, you're getting penalized more than you have in the past. So 
you know, what that tells me is, again, the, the market is very, very focused. They are on, on these results and, and you're not getting a pass if you, if you screw up. Um, and if you do well, you're just performing the same as you always would on a relative basis. So um, it, it tells you that there's negative, clear, a clear negative sentiment in the market when you, when you see uh, results rewarded this way. Um, at the end of the day, though, the numbers still are going higher, and that is the, the long-term key for the equity market, um, in our view. Uh, it's very hard to have terrible, like, 2008, 2009, or 2000 outcomes for the S&P 500 when earnings are, are moving higher, like they continue to do so. Um, it doesn't mean you can't have a bear market because of other factors, but um, it, it, it takes off those fat tail bad outcomes. Um, so it's been heartening to see earnings continue to move higher. To your point about multiples though, George, I mean, when you look at it, like again, that, that anomaly period of 2020 and 2021, we saw multiples spike into the 20s and that coincided with those, those 10 year yields, which were at, at very depressed levels. And essentially the market multiple has just moved back into the, to the middle, to the upper half of the trading range that the multiple was in from say the period of 2014 through, through the pre-COVID period in early 2020. So you know, we, can, we could see potentially another turn come out here um, and get back to that average of that period, which was you know, say 15 and a half or so. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising. But you know that's that's not a a an outcome that I think would would cause the Fed to back off of its tightening. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Steve. I think the other thing people should be considering doing now in this environment that, you know, when you do sell stocks, for example, that are down quite a bit, um, you actually do crystallize or realize those losses. So you lock those losses in. Otherwise, they're mostly just on paper. Um, and so you you want to be thoughtful about how you um, you harvest losses. Um, there is a chance to use losses against your taxes and things like that. So you can actually make, um, make the case for harvesting some losses for tax claim purposes. Um, you also have the ability to maybe upgrade your portfolio in terms of maybe looking at, at higher quality issues and higher quality names. Um, so rebalancing is probably something that people should be considering doing, I think, in this environment as well. In terms of quality, Steve and Rishi, for that matter, too, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. You know, we've seen a significant um, flight to quality away from real speculative assets and speculative instruments uh, such as crypto. So we as a firm don't have a view on, on crypto. We don't offer uh, crypto products or, or uh, currencies to our clients. We've done a lot of thinking, a lot of listening around that, um, but it has been in the mainstream for, for the last couple of weeks or so as there's been an absolute carnage with respect to what's happened in the crypto space. But I don't know, uh, Rajiv, do you have any thoughts in terms of maybe how the crypto craze, if you will, if it does really burn out, how that might influence either the Fed's thinking or what that might mean from the, the economy perspective overall? Uh, it's a great question. And we did see that uh, this week with uh, the way crypto has performed. I think your point about uh, a move in up in quality is something that we've talked about a lot about. And that's across the board on asset classes. We've seen higher quality asset classes uh, really be the place to be this year in this type of uh, environment that we find ourselves in. And crypto's kind of revealed itself as not being that high quality asset. It's more of a speculative asset. Uh, one thing to note is many people thought that crypto was that asset class that will be protecting you against inflation. That didn't come true either. Uh, that's obviously not true. Uh, and I think what we're seeing right now is we're seeing uh, many investors that have played in the space. Uh, the investor base of crypto has increased quite a, quite a bit. Uh, 
they're realizing very quickly that this is not what they signed up for. And this volatility is a real thing. Uh, it doesn't just keep going up. And we've been seeing that. And same thing with the credit spreads. If you try to compare that as asset classes, we've talked about on this call several times that credit spreads, though they're wider, they're very orderly and they didn't sound any alarm bells. But when you look at an asset class like crypto, which is speculative, you see the alarm bells and they sound very, very loud this week. Is one thing that jumped out to me in this whole endeavor is that if, if I think back to 2008, 2009, um, the, the thing that kicked off the whole cycle was the reserve, uh, the reserve money market fund breaking the buck. I, I, Rajiv, you remember that? How I, that, that was like the, the, it was like the beginning of the end of the world, right? Correct. And here we have this week a quote unquote stable coin, which broke the buck. Mm -hmm. And did the financial system end? No. No. That tells you how important crypto is to markets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The takeaway is not very right. I mean, correct. I think for those not people, very. yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's an interesting analogy, Steve. Of course, you know what happened with a cryptocurrency or a stable coin, to use your term, um, you know, versus a, a money market fund, which is you know pretty pretty ubiquitous across all finance, right? Um, it's a much different situation. But I do think that you know it does bear watching. And again, maybe what people should be thinking about doing now is to look at their portfolio closely. Uh, see if there's a way to upgrade in quality uh, as we ride through some of this volatility that will probably persist for the summer um, and, and really try to um, take that, that long-term view in, in mind. So I think upgrading quality and, and taking a long-term perspective are really important um, things to think about in this environment. George, Stephen, Rajiv, thanks for providing your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp, Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.